Welcome back, Poison Pals. It's another episode of That Shit is Poison, your favorite true crime and toxicology podcast with your host, Harini Bot, and your other host, Megan Gesner. And we will keep insisting that this is your favorite true crime and toxicology (laughs) podcast until it actually becomes your favorite true crime and toxicology podcast. It already is. It better be, Poison Pals. (laughs) My God. And while you're at it, go rate and review, goddammit. (laughs) Right now. (laughs) It takes 0.1 seconds of your life and just the slightest tip of your finger that's all i feel like you and i are getting more and more aggressive with every <laughs> recording that we make i know not we just aggressive right not just aggressive toward our listenership in terms of like read and review like just <laughs> i feel like we're we're maybe using this podcast as like vent sessions in I some know. way just needing to get like stress out of and you can hear it in our voices um I just but what else are podcasts for like we didn't, That's we true. didn't start this podcast to talk about poison toxicology. We we started this so we could vent about our life. <laughs> Let's be I real. Know. Yeah, you all have been tricked. It's been a trick this whole time. <laughs> you just haven't figured it out yet. Exactly. Uh, that's funny. Sorry, yeah. I'm trying to pull up the email. <laughs> oh, is this about Cambo? Yeah. Oh, Should I even dude, talk about okay. it? Because I okay, sure. Great. Yeah, let's revisit because also it's so weird how the universe works this way. <laughs> but uh. <laughs> Uh, one of my good friends, Arizona, she DM'd me on Instagram yeah. and she shared a story of like someone that she follows or whatever. And they were promoting like a Cambo session or, a mm. we- you know, Cambo practitioner. Okay. And it's this gorgeous, you know, gorgeously laid out story with like a woman wearing a white bohemian dress mm. and all. <laughs> I don't even have to say more. Just look. She has a third eye. Mm, yes yes yeah uh, so Arizona sent that to me and she was like look at Mm -hmm. this and uh, long story short I was just like hey you know uh, whoever is doing the session as a western practitioner have them email us because we are curious to hear their side even though we put them on blast Mm -hmm. in that episode (laughs) (laughs) so so anyways yeah so so someone emailed us about that can you share emailed us yeah Yeah. I'm gonna share so out of respect to them I will leave their name out of it but mm-hmm. they emailed us after the Cambo episode, which I know is several mm-hmm. episodes back. But mm-hmm. we record some episodes in advance, so that's why we're talking about it now. Anyways, they wanted to talk about their insights about what we said in the episode. So <laughs> we actually talked about in the episode that there is a potential of appropriating the culture and the traditions of Cambo and westernizing it in a sense by bringing it over mm-hmm. to Europe and mm-hmm. the United States and otherwise unlike particularly shrooms is what we talked Mm -hmm. about because we felt Mm -hmm. like shrooms doesn't really have a basis in some sort of tradition Mm. but they elegantly described to us that that is not the case they told us that mushrooms and psilocybin have strong roots in the mayan and incan cultures Mm. so they're not actually very different to cambo or ayahuasca It has just Mm. been more socially acceptable as part of Western culture since early on because it was brought over from Mexico uh, in the 1950s, potentially due to MPA Ultra, they put in quotation marks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So probably. But basically, the essence of the email is just a really awesome discussion about psychedelics, what their personal beliefs are about psychedelics and the use of it medically and otherwise. It was just mm-hmm. a really great, really great uh, and well thought out email. So just wanted to give them yeah. a shout out. And we always love getting feedback from you guys. So if you guys have thoughts about an episode and you want to share, always email us at dashespoison at gmail.com. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And thank you for that. Um, I know we're leaving this person in, but thank you for that email because mm-hmm. I think, you know, recognizing because the use of psilocybin and research for it actually started so long ago in the 50s mm-hmm. and then funding for it was cut. I think yeah. that acknowledgement towards its roots in Mayan and indigenous Mexican, Mexican culture got lost. Well, it was lost probably for many many different reasons but because like i am i imagine because that research was cut that aids in the loss of acknowledgement to to those roots and i think with ayahuasca and cambo the reason why we are so keen on recognizing hey these come from very significant uh traditions that are Mm -hmm. unique to certain geographic locations and cultures is because we are living in a more contemporary time where these things are acknowledged and that's just how research and social dialogue has progressed yeah um, agreed so on our end besides <laughs> that email mm-hmm. i think and this is maybe like a call to action for all of our listeners who might be interested in like psychedelics or or specifically shroom usage and stuff mm-hmm. like let's do our part and try to bring back that education and that yeah. story of you know psychedelics because I think in our Cambo episode, we had said like, oh, we feel that shrooms aren't really tied to any one culture. But mm-hmm. like, let's p- do our part and say, hey, let's do the research because we can definitely find that it's tied, as this person said, to Mayan culture. And Absolutely. So, yeah. Agreed. Anyways, so thank you. Just to end off, I actually was skimming through the last part of the email because it's been a while. But I think in the last half of the episode... Maggie and I start talking about LSD versus shrooms in terms of we kind of just colloquially feel like people are either in one camp or the other. Like if someone loves LSD, they, they're not a super huge fan of shrooms and vice versa. So the last part of this email was regarding that. So they're talking and an aspect of that was or the reason why some people are in one camp versus other is because they feel like shrooms are more natural, like they're from the earth, and LSD is synthetic, and they don't want to mm. put something synthetic in their body if you are like, have a preference for shrooms, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to read this word for word. So regarding the synthetic versus natural, I've always been fascinated by that myself. So basically, they are of the opinion and have come to think of both synthetic and natural compounds as being just that, compounds and chemical structures that interact with our bodies regardless of how they were made. For example, LSD was originally derived from ergot, which is a fungus, a natural fungus. Mm. So its roots are natural, technically, mm-hmm. but it is easier to synthesize than to grow the mold and derive it from ergot. Psilocybin, on the other hand, is quite readily available in terms of being able to grow it more easily, but it can also be synthesized, and it is, but most people tend to buy it in its natural form. Mm. So I think there are pros and cons to both is what this person is saying. With natural compounds, dosing is always very difficult because each plant and mushroom will produce different amounts of the drug of interest. So even if one weighs two piles of one gram mushrooms, the psilocybin content could greatly differ. Whereas with synthetically made compounds, the dosing will always be the same. One gram Mm. of LSD will always be one gram of LSD. Mm. On the other hand, if you have an unprofessional chemist synthesizing these drugs, there mm-hmm. could be so many byproducts that have not been properly washed out, which could become dangerous. But yeah. Mother Nature knows best. Plus, you have yeah. the whole entourage effect argument for using natural compounds, which I thought was really mm. great. So mm-hmm. really good argument on both sides, which is I totally agree with all of those things that they said. So just food for thought. That's awesome. And off of that, that's a nice... <laughs> 
segue kind of because okay. I will mention very briefly sure. how street drugs where LSD does fall into that camp can, you know, have impurities. So that will be mentioned mm. in my actual story very briefly. But oh, uh, right. Yeah, it's true. All right. So Megan, right. let's get into mm-hmm. it then. All right, let's do it. Megan, it is your week <laughs> to pick your poison. Mm-mm. What are you going to regale with us today? All right. So the story I am going to tell today is commonly known as mm. the story of the mm. chocolate cream poisoner. What? <laughs> I have never. When you said commonly known, I was like, ooh, I'm going to know this one. <laughs> okay. I said commonly known. I, I, the only reason I said that is because based on my research, there are other podcasts that uh, are specifically about like toxicology and like, um, what's the one podcast? I think we actually follow this person on Instagram. It's the dark histories podcast, but like they focus on like, you know, morbid tales. It's, it's like kind of true crime, but more like, you know, historical the focus on the victorian era yes because that's 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 where we're going to be going oh, once yes. again so we love uh, but so age. so if you're if you are familiar with that camp of victorian england and poisonings <laughs> you are probably familiar with the chocolate cream poison. got it okay Ooh, that is evil mm. so, so many people probably died because everyone loves chocolate <laughs> i know uh, yeah okay megan but let's hear it anyways <laughs> let's go all right so this is a tale about a woman. So it is our, we do have a woman and poisoner on our hands today. Mm. A woman by the name of Christiana Edmonds. Oh, pretty name. Oh, yes. But okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so for today's story, I pulled from Murderpedia. <laughs> um, what was interesting about this story is I feel like whenever you go back to like Victorian era stuff, you mostly are going to get stuff from like museum websites or it's hard to find actual written articles unless you yeah. subscribe and pay for certain things. <laughs> right. So anyway, so I apologize for my not so great sources, but here we go. So Murderpedia, the CDC, Journal of Family Medicine, Primary Care, Wikipedia, the Women's History Network, and then Old Police Cells Museum. <laughs> what? I... I think it's just like a website for a museum that's in London. They okay. okay. If they sound like great resources, I'm happy about that. But you know, mm-hmm. I'm operating on this level of as much as we can. Try to use Google Scholar. Try to use the accredited uh, sites where it's like journals and stuff like that. I might have listed a couple journals, but I'm telling you, I only gained like a small amount of information. Mm, only like you. on the talk side. Most right. of the story I got from Murderpedia. <laughs> we love okay. it. We love it. All right. <laughs> So anyway, spoken like a real true crime podcast right now. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So this is a tale about a woman named Christiana Edmonds. Christiana Edmonds was born in Margate, Kent in 1829 to a middle class family. Very similar to the story of George Chapman, which we Mm. did an episode about a couple, Mm -hmm. you know, episodes back. Yeah. There's not much recorded about Christiana's childhood. And I think that's because at the time, like this is 18, 1829 when, she, when yeah. she's born. So, you know, mid-Victorian era or on the tail end of Victorian era, you know, people aren't documented or, you know, their histories or their family histories aren't really documented unless you are someone from a large amount of wealth mm-hmm. or your royalty 
or True. you build some sort of notoriety at some point <laughs> right. in time in your life, right? So yeah. the record keeping on her is extremely sparse all the way from childhood to her 30s. Her officially recorded story does not begin until she's 40 years old. Wow. So that's when like her notoriety <laughs> takes off. So kind of okay. like no news mm-hmm. is good news for the 1800s. That's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, you're yeah. correct. <laughs> um, anyways, I was having a lapse in my brain. No, you're... So the only thing that we do know about her family, but this is only... This is information that, you know, is kind of received after she becomes infamous, sure. um, is that she... There is some hint of like mental illness within her family as a whole, her immediate family. Um, you know, apparently her father had suffered from some sort of mental disorder. They, you know, at the time they called him like he was just, he had gone mad, quote unquote, mm. gone mad. Cause that's how they talked about mental health and psychosis <laughs> at the time. Mad. They're like, he is just gone He's mad. mad. He's, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so he had, he had some sort of mental disorder or you know what have you before okay. he died early so he had mm-hmm. an early death leaving you know the like leaving the mom with the children behind rough yeah two of her siblings actually passed away in adulthood reasons reasons unknown from what research i could pull up she had a brother who was actually institutionalized at the Earlsfield Asylum. Also, I don't, I'm not really sure why he was um, put there. And then a sister who committed suicide. So mm. by the time that her story begins, it's just her, her mother, and one other sister living okay. together. Okay. Wow. That's a, a lot, lot of tragedy much. really early. Yeah. No, you mentioned the asylum. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking like, It'd be so interesting to do an episode on how those things worked back in the day. Like, how was mental health a thing then? Unless you're going to be talking about it. Actually, I'm not. So that's the one part that I probably don't do the story justice in terms of the mental health aspect and how, you know... from what I garner, a lot of reform needed to be done. You know, like this is this is during an era. It, oh, like yeah. if you recall the the George Chapman story, like while we didn't talk about asylums or mental health, we did talk yeah. about medical care mm-hmm. and how when the woman that he was poisoning went to the hospital, they were very dismissive of right. her symptoms, right? And they were like, "Ah, oh, no." They thought it was what is that one term they used for women back in the day? hysteria uh, hysteria they thought it was yeah. hysteria or some nonsense right so i think that would probably apply to the mental health institutions at the oh, time yeah i can give it like a for her for christiana Edmonds' story i can definitely give a little bit but i imagine like the dark histories podcast or if, if you type in the chocolate cream poisoner you're actually going to see a list of like a couple podcasts pop up i'm sure some of them talk about how they treated patients that were dealing with a mental health crisis at the time so Go yeah, check those 100%. out. <laughs> You're yeah. not going to get that fully from me today. No, that's so. cool. Because I was mm-hmm. the only reason I asked is because I was recently reading something on Instagram mm-hmm. where exactly what Megan said, the level of medicinal care at the time was just like whatever goes. And they weren't mm-hmm. just getting help from the medical for or they weren't just using techniques or tactics from other doctors in the medical field. It was like mm-hmm. from like barbers or like mm-hmm. i don't know a carpenter for sawing bones and shit like that but yeah it was funny because i was looking or not funny it was kind of bizarre 
but the invention of the electric chair was invented by a dentist, which Mm. I'm like, why did they have to invent that? (laughs) Right. Or like, what expertise do you have as a dentist that would be like, yes, I think it is valid to use this electric chair on something totally non-tooth related? Like, like, where does that all come from? You know, like, scary. So bizarre. But maybe, I bet I... But I know we shouldn't think of obviously things have changed. There's a lot more specialization in our uh, <laughs> yeah. medical care these days. But I think just back then it was like it's that whole concept of you could be a doctor and a carpenter and those things totally right. can mix and they can bleed together in terms of, oh, if I mend a door this way, we can mend a spleen <laughs> this way. Like, who Dude, knows? Who freaking it's knows? It's totally true. Yeah. Wow. Just use some All Gorilla right, Glue. Anyway, <laughs> no, no, don't, don't, do not, not do that, that lady. Do what not. was that lady? You were, you know what I'm talking she, about, right? Yes, yes. She put oh, glue God. on her hair. That poor thing, oh, that's poor thing, and so unfortunate. But you know, I what made me so happy about that story, despite you know all the trauma that she went through, is that I think her whole bill was like covered, which was amazing. Oh, good. Yeah, I think I think the medical staff was like, you do not have to pay for this. It's okay. Oh, poor baby. All right. Anyways, sorry, sidetrack. So, no, all good. So, yes, her story officially begins in 1869, which does put her at exactly 40 years old. At this point in time, so she had she was born and raised in Margate, Kent, but in 1869, her family has already relocated to the town, the seaside town of Brighton. Ooh, and they relocated around 1860, so it's been nine years that they're there. They're pretty established. Mid-1869, she makes the acquaintance of a Dr. Charles Beard, who lives nearby. This quickly turns into, like, a crush for her, and she begins begins to write letters to him in pursuit of some sort of, like, romantic correspondence mm-hmm. or connection. Okay. While Dr. Beard is actually married at the time of this, mm. <laughs> uh, you know beginning correspondence he does not reject christiana's letters um in fact he maintains this connection until the summer of 1870 so he maintains this Mm -hmm. like letter writing for several months it's actually unclear like in all fairness and objectivity based on like the stories that i read and most of the stories are the same out there that's why i didn't pull that many resources because mm-hmm. it's just repeat repeat and un- and that's what's right. kind of sad about this like record keeping thing and in, in the t- history and timeline is just like i think a lot of what we know about her story is based on one anecdote you know what i'm saying yeah, and so we exactly. just kind of build off of that mm-hmm. and like several newspaper clippings but anyway so it is unclear if he actually felt any romantic feelings for Christiana um, Mm -hmm. or if he just enjoyed like the companionship or attention that he offered him. But what we do know is that he's definitely culpable in creating and upholding a flirtation with her for several months. So they never are intimate together. It's strictly letter writing. And she does get to meet, like she meets him and his wife in person. Like she becomes used to calling on them at their house sort of thing. It never like exceeds this connection. I was yeah. gonna say platonic, but it's it's not necessarily platonic. It's like this weird flirtation. Sure, but anyway, mm-hmm. sorry, I just had a quick question, but I think you already mm-hmm. answered it. Mm-hmm. I was just gonna ask, like, did was she aware that he was married? But it just it seems like she was. Yeah. Yes. Yes, she was aware that he's married. Mm-hmm. 
it is unclear as to what point she is made aware. Like, or were they, did they just start writing letters? And then it wasn't until like she visited his house that it's like, oh, you have a wife. I don't know. Oh, you know why? Right. Who knows? But <laughs> okay. like, she's Not our still <laughs> long story. Yeah, long story short, she still maintains like this flirtation with him and writing mm-hmm. letters to him after even knowing like that he's married and meeting his wife. Gotcha. Got okay. It. So. So all that occurs for several months. Eventually, however, in 1870. So remember, she meets him in 1869, probably around the summertime. They write letters to each other. Eventually, in 1870, Dr. Beard formally asks Christiana to stop writing letters to him. And it is speculated that he might have gone through some sort of moment of, I can't keep doing this because my reputation is put on the line. I can't keep doing this deceit. At the end of the day, yeah. I'm going to remain with my wife. So he kind of like puts his, he, he puts up his boundary officially. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, we can't continue this. Like, please stop writing me letters. He writes, quote, this correspondence must cease. It is no good for either of us. So he's, he's having a moment of yeah. like, this isn't beneficial for anybody. Let's just quit it. Yeah. She completely disregards his requests and continues okay. to write letters to him. <laughs> she's like, that's and nice. I, yeah. She's like, okay. I'm laughing because I'm nervous. I actually think that's quite sad. Like, it's really, like, unfortunate, no, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, she, she disregards his request. She continues to write him letters. All of these letters that he continu- that she continues to write to him, he actually keeps them and hides them away from his family. Again, mm-hmm. it's unclear if he opens any of them, but he okay. definitely does not. He definitely does not dispose of them, and that's important for later on when mm-hmm. things start to pick up heat with Christiana <laughs> and what so she bizarre. ends up doing. Like, okay, like yeah, okay, that that's ahead. really. I get why because mm-hmm. I was I was like, huh, like you're giving a lot of background information in terms of. Mm-hmm. Did he flirt with her? Did he right. like her? Or did he not? Right. Like, there's a lot of, like, up in the air about whether right. that's true or not. And I totally mm-hmm. get why now, because mm-hmm. if you don't want someone or you don't like someone anymore and you want them to stop bugging you in his mm-hmm. eyes, mm-hmm. why hold on to the letters? Like, I would just, right. I, if that were me, I'd be like, oh, my God, she's not getting it. I'm right. And just throw every single letter away so you don't have to even right. think about it. But he's clearly keeping it for some sort of, sentimental value or like a pride thing like i have no idea yeah. that's so Who interesting knows? like yeah it's it is interesting like yeah maybe could have started like this happened so long ago like we <laughs> no one no one interviewed him and it was like why did you keep these letters like maybe it was a pride thing and maybe he was like well it's kind of nice to still be getting fan mail you know what i mean like right. ooh, fan mail right. but it's this weird unintentional foresight that is really impressive to me that he kept these letters and this will help with future investigations, which I will get to later. But so that's why it's like, I don't want to credit him. We have no way of knowing if he had foresight, but but I mean, also someone who, you know, if we're going to talk about seriously, someone who's gone through like a stalker relationship, for example, Mm -hmm. maybe there is a gut instinct of, I need to make sure I keep all these documents and, and, and letters and, all this evidence so yeah. that if it does become severe to like if it becomes a threat to my health and safety mm-hmm. i have evidence to show like this has 100%. been going on for months you know 100 percent. yeah so who knows if that's what he thought right or if it was just like a male <laughs> ego thing who yeah. knows i don't know <laughs> okay in september of that same year she actually goes and visits his house 
Um, I don't believe he's around. She visits his house with the the intent of seeing his wife, Emily Beard, Mm -hmm. and she gifts Emily a box of chocolate creams. Oh, I mean, no. And and then, you know, she just walks away and it's like, there's your gift. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) As far as we know. So Emily indulges in the chocolate later and very quickly becomes violently sick i know she's like god damn chocolate cream (laughs) this lady's great but anyway yeah so she she very quickly becomes violently sick after eating just a few of the chocolates and dr beard immediately accuses christiana for like for poisoning them like immediately he is like no question like you definitely poisoned this box of chocolates and you intentionally gave it to my wife and christiana of course denies it she even goes she even insists hey i got the same box of chocolates from the same confectionery and i also got sick from eating them and so she like Mm. pushes that story and tries to convince him of that so ultimately that temporarily dispels some of his suspicion but he still is like you cannot come to my house anymore like you are not welcome you cannot visit our residence again and that's that's where he officially draws that boundary. And so she respects that, but she continues to send him letters. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. This lady, yeah. she... Okay, if anything, she is persistent. But... And not a good way. Yeah, not in a good way. But yeah. that makes zero sense. She's like... Mm-hmm. She gives these chocolates to his wife, mm-hmm. who gets mm-hmm. violently ill, and her mm-hmm. defense is, well... I got sick too. So if she got sick too, why the hell does she give it to somebody else to get sick too? Unless she got sick afterwards, but still, I don't know. That's a really good, who knows how that conversation went. If you're, if you're like knee deep in a lie, you can come up with anything. Like (laughs) I'm not saying that with pride or anything, but it's like, I can see the conversation going. Okay. She gives the box of chocolates to Emily. Emily gets sick. The doctor puts it together. Like did, did Christiana come and give you that box of chocolates? And now you're throwing Mm -hmm. up. Okay, then he's like, she definitely fucked with them somehow. Yeah. Goes to Christiana and is like, what did you do to the, my wife? What did you do my chocolates? And then I could see someone like Christiana lying and being like, oh, no, I'm so sorry that happened. You know, I actually got a little sick from these box of chocolates, too. But I figured it was just a one time thing. I figured it was just me. You yeah. know, like, it's yeah. so easy. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so easy to, like, dispel any suspicion. Because it's, I think it's a very, while he probably had that gut instinct, I think, you know, just from a good human mindset, it's probably like, you don't want to think the worst, worst of someone. Is no. this woman really trying to poison me? Of course. Like, that's such a headache. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now, on top of everything you have to deal with, you have to think right. about someone poisoning your household. Yeah. Like, right. that's not going to be something you want to put on your to-do yeah. list. It it almost seems, I, I imagine, like, it seems unreal. Like, I, I can't yeah. imagine Correct. being in that p- position today. That would obviously be horrible. But, of course, you get the gut feeling. But you would definitely be like, well, I need real evidence. Like, I need a... Yeah. Yeah, I would have done the but same good, thing as him. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, good for him to be like, listen, you just can't come to my house anymore. You just yeah, cannot yeah. keep Bottom appearing. Line. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so that happens. Weirdly, mm-hmm. over in the next few months after that event, within the year of 1871, so now it's like the next year is mm-hmm. coming around, multiple reports of people falling ill after eating candies or chocolates begin to increase in this locality mm. in the in this township and this concern spreads by word of mouth the township is becoming paranoid but it's mm-hmm. not enough for the media or the police to to take serious interest yet so like at this mm-hmm. point 
people locally all know, yeah, something's going around. Like people are getting sick. It seems to be tied to sweets or chocolates. (laughs) Um, And we don't know what's going on. But, you know, no one's really investigating it yet. So it's just kind of like, okay, we're just going to deal. But then one significant event happens that triggers all the police getting involved and stuff. So on June 12th of that same year, 1871, a man by the name of Charles Miller, he reports that he had bought a box of chocolates from a confectionery called J.G. Maynard's. And he he had bought the chocolates while he was staying with his brother at the time. And he himself ate some. And he gave a piece of chocolate to his four-year-old nephew, Sidney mm. Barker. Miller, the man who bought the chocolates, as an adult, he gets sick but survives. His nephew does not survive. Ugh. His toddler nephew, four-year-old nephew, dies after eating the chocolate. Oh and God. that's what ultimately tips it over. Because I guess at this time it was like all adults getting sick or some yeah. nonsense or, or like people people who could like manage a small dose of some sort yeah. of poisoning, right? But um, because this child dies, that's when the police get involved and that's when the media start paying attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So prior to any official inquest, inquest to get like the people in the township to come forward and provide evidence, the police immediately go to the confectionery J.G. Maynard's and collect chocolate samples. And lab results show that there is, in fact, strychnine in the chocolates. Mm. And we don't know how it got there. Because they don't know how it got there, that's when they start to begin the inquest of any witness statements or, you know, asking for tips or any helpful information. During this inquest... Guess who comes forward with helpful information? Do you have a guess? Christiana. Christiana. Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's I so guess. funny. Uh, I guess. Yes, Christiana. Christi- <laughs> Christiana does come forward and she tells the investigators that she herself had gotten sick after buying chocolates at Maynard's. And Her favorite that, oh, story. Right. <laughs> She's like, I got sick too. Me too. Um, and and that a wife of a good friend, aka oh, Emily Beard, Lordy. the doctor's wife, had also gotten sick eating the chocolates several months prior, mm-hmm. you know, late last year. And they like they find this as helpful and they they are like, okay, that makes sense because we do realize there's strychnine in these chocolates and it's coming from Maynard's shop. But ultimately they rule that the little boy's death again the little boy's name is Sidney Barker they rule mm-hmm. Sidney's death as accidental and they exonerate the owner of the confectionery shop John Maynard they exonerate him because he's mm. like it's there's nothing that connects him to like why there's strychnine in the chocolate okay and so they, they exonerate the chocolate shop owner and he completely empties his store stock like he just disposes yeah. of all of his stock to start fresh nice yeah yeah okay so soon after the inquest of Sydney's poisoning and death, Sydney's father actually receives three anonymous letters urging him to sue John Maynard, the owner of the chocolate shop, and and also saying that a woman who had already spoken to the police would help if anything further came up. That so is these so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so these three letters are sent to the father of Sydney, which is like horrible. And just, Ugh. it's it's a sign of, like, guilt, too, in some way. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? I guess Because you, I yeah. imagine, 
because as as you're probably figuring it out that Christiana's involved, right? (laughs) I imagine that there's some guilt there of like, oh, it was never my intention to have a child die because of these actions or whatever. What the hell even was her intentions in the first place, though? Right. I was going to get to that, but I think it is important to say like, I, it's not that I dislike this, but uh, at the time, because of how women were seen and woman poisoners were seen and the what was that term you used the hysteria hysteria you knew exactly like things like that like hysteria and just how woman's mental state was talked about by the culture at the time they really believed that her mo was like love blindness for dr beard and (laughs) you know what i mean like like love blindness and like uh specifically in the articles that i read they stated like oh it was sex driven like her Mm, her lust for this man was so strong that she tried to poison his wife and as a guilt to that and being shunned from his house she tried to put the blame on the confectioner shop or something like that you know what i mean that's why i say i think she probably sent those letters to the father of the child because she didn't intend for that to happen for like a child to die and so it shows some form of remorse or guilt but that was their ultimate mo they like they argued that like she was just like blinded by lust and love and so weird and just did these irrational crazy things i know crazy is not the right word but you get the idea yeah okay these letters those anonymous letters sent to the father of the child of course are immediately given to the police as the poisonings continued despite john maynard Mm. destroying the stock so people were still getting sick and they were tying it to the john to the maynard's confectionery but even after he destroyed all his products the town there are people still reporting getting sick so it's clear that it's not just coming from one place despite what these letters are insisting like you have to sue this confectionery right yeah okay so on thursday of august 1871 just two months after sydney barker's death Mm -hmm. several prominent people in the town including the doctor's wife emily beard and members of her household like the, um, you know her servants and and stuff yeah become sick again from eating parcels that were sent to them of Jesus. fruits and cakes and, and i'm just like Dude. why are you eating any sort of sweets or mysterious That's gifts at this point like <laughs> if you uh, like how bizarre maybe okay <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe it's just the times and mm-hmm. we shouldn't be like time shaming i don't know yeah but like <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, in what world, in what world does, mm. do you like open your front door and you see this mysterious parcel of fruit and you're mm. like, let me just eat this fruit and cake that I found on my doorstep. Yeah, no man. questions asked. <laughs> yeah. I, wasn't it, wasn't it you I was talking to the other day about how our version of a, a decade where literally anything goes is something like. It, no, yeah, it was the seventies. Like that's 70s, that's yeah. our our current interpretation of like, oh, the seventies is where anything goes, and that was the yeah. justification for racism and all these horrible things that actually happened in the seventies and eighties. You oh, know what I mean? God, like, yeah. oh, it mm-hmm. was the seventies, so it's just crazy shit happened in that era, so it gets a pass. Blatant misogyny. I feel like <laughs> I feel like that also applies to the Victorian era. I was like, oh, 100. it was the mid to late eighteen hundreds. Crazy <laughs> shit was happening all the time there. 
prostitutes getting murdered, poisonings. Mm-hmm. Like no one gave a fuck in eighteen eighteen hundred really London. You know, people's jaws were falling out of their heads. I know, just absurd. It was all kind stuff. of nuts, so crazy, absurd. So, anyways, <laughs> so that so is yeah, all eating. To say. <laughs> so eating cake on your doorstep is probably the most banal of all of those yes, that could happen in eighteen like, hundreds. It's so innocent compared to yeah, and honestly, else. like people need food. I'm assuming they're like if, yeah. I, if someone wants to leave them, leave us their fresh fruit and cake. Right, I'm gonna take it. Right, and I think it's also like uh, like mind you, the the beards, Doctor Beard and his wife Emily Beard, they're probably well off, like upper That's middle true. class in some way, right, or working class <laughs> or whatever. I don't, I don't know, but like even then like free food speaks volumes well honestly i just i can see the whole thing just playing out in my head like one of like the bell boys or the valets opens the Mm. door and sees this nice scrumptious parceled feast right brings it inside and mrs beard is like well i'm not gonna eat that but let me Mm. just try this one grape and here you have the rest and that's sure, how she yeah. gets sick and the rest of her staff gets sick too <laughs> yeah and i do think i do think actually she did bring it in and she actually had some of the staff try it first but it doesn't Ooh. like nothing like happens when you first ingest you right know what I'm right so right. she's like yeah i would like to imagine that your story is right she's like okay <laughs> one grape oh, wonderful and then they're yeah. all like feeling horrible and, next and they're just all minutes. on the floor in like five yeah. minutes. but exactly that's really unfortunate yeah. So, so these, like I said, not only does Emily Beard's household get the parcels, but like there's other significant people in town that are a little more high profile that get these parcels. Interestingly enough, guess who also gets a parcel? Oh my God. She's playing <laughs> her own game, dude. She's, she's she wants games, to participate <laughs> so badly. <laughs> yes. So Christiana Edmonds also gets a parcel and um the police actually stop by her house to collect her uneaten parcel as evidence and she makes some odd comment while they're there about how she feels unsafe and that she thinks that the police will never be able to catch the perpetrator she says quote how very strange yeah she says how very strange i feel certain that you'll never find it out and this mm, makes the mm-hmm. police feel a little uneasy and slightly suspicious of Christiana. Right. <laughs> Good call. Dude. Just, yeah. It's it's definitely yeah. Okay. I I don't mean to laugh, but it is comical. No, That's like it's, so absurd. It's a little absurd. It's so kind of it's <laughs> yeah. so all of it is absurd. But what I was yeah. going to say is you talked about earlier how Christiana basically emailed, or not emailed, oh my God, sent three letters to Sydney's yes. father saying like, you need to like sue this yeah. confectionery, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. you're saying like, it was because of guilt. But right. I'm like, there's no way she was guilty mm. if the poisonings continued and at various different stores and things like that. And she's hand delivering these parcels <laughs> right. to poison people. Right. Like yeah. clearly there's no guilt there, but I'm mm-hmm. sure you'll get into this later, but I don't understand why she would want to implicate, you know, a confectionery. What does that mm. have to do with Mr. with Dr. Beard? Right. I don't know. Right. Like it doesn't right. affect him, I guess. If she's really trying to take a revenge or something, it's not really affecting him. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is like that is a really good point, because I think in some of the articles I read, like it that theory that her whole mo here was because she was trying to get with dr beard and she felt guilt about poisoning the wife and the child and she doesn't want dr beard to like see her in a certain lens 
you are mm. right, Harini, in a, in a sense that, like, um, the only thing that disproves that is, like, she still yeah. kept poisoning people. So, like, what was the what was the purpose? Like, how does that get you closer to Dr. Beard? Or unless she right. is living in some extreme fantasy of, oh, fuck, Dr. Beard is suspicious that I poisoned mm-hmm. his wife the first time, and now right. I'm banned from his house, so now I'm just going to make it look like there's a bunch of serial poisoning by actually serially poisoning people. Yeah. No, I totally think that's what you she know. was thinking, honestly. But obviously any rational person without whatever's happening in her her brain or mindset would mm-hmm. recognize even if you weren't ever found out that would never allow you back into dr beard's life anyway <laughs> so it's just like a very extreme but yeah this is all speculation like we know yeah, yeah. we, sh- we never really know why she did this but we do think it's tied to her relationship with dr beard so yeah she makes that little remark about thinking oh you're never gonna find out who it is and the police kind of are just like okay noted you are weird and we're that in our minds so after that visitation from the police she pens Mm -hmm. yet another letter to dr beard someone take that pen away from her Take Snap all... that quill out of her hand. I know. Take the quill. Take that parse. Ink what pot. is it? Parchment. Whatever. <laughs> out. Parchment paper. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So she pens yet another letter to Dr. Beard. But oh. in this letter, she mentions, not specifics per se, but she mentions heavily about the fact that his wife got poisoned again and also mentions the investigation around Sidney Barker's death, the child's death. And mm, okay. This letter causes Dr. Beard to ultimately go to the police because his gut instinct, which he had had originally during his mm-hmm. wife's first poisoning, is now just fully there. He's just like, yeah. why is she in such great detail or gusto writing about <laughs> the fact that my wife was poisoned and talking about the investigation into this child's death? Like, it just mm-hmm. seems really odd. And also, he ultimately goes to the police because he's like, if my gut instinct is correct, that Christiana is responsible for at least some aspect of this uh, phenomenon going on of like the town being poisoned, then I could be held accountable for not coming forward earlier or at all. And and remind you, like, he's been saving her letters. So, like, that doesn't look good if he has like evidence this whole time. So he goes to the police and hands over all the love letters that she has ever sent to him. And he's pretty much like, I'd rather my reputation be marred of wow. being like, you know, emotionally infidelic than mm-hmm. go to jail if it seems like I was like hiding evidence. What a guy. So he gives him all the letters. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Yeah. So <laughs> immediately the police compare the handwriting in her letters to the anonymous letters that Ooh. that father had received during the Barker inquest. She is arrested within a week of the parsonal poisonings, m- purely based on suspicion. But that's like mm-hmm. a tactic that the police do because they're like, if you are responsible for this, we can't. What's the good word? faith? Yes. We can't in our in good faith or like knowing what we know, have yeah. you be out in the public still potentially poisoning right. more people. Right. So we're just going to hold you for a little bit and continue with our investigation. So they arrest her and they they hold her away from the public. And during this time, they begin to track her movements. So they kind of use the letters, all those love letters, to track, okay, where could she have been? What was she doing prior to the days of the parcel deliveries? Mm -hmm. So they quickly discover that she had bought strychnine 
or strychnine i don't know i'll say strychnine. i think you can go either way yeah <laughs> yeah she had bought strychnine from a chemist named isaac garrett under the pseudonym mrs woods on two separate occasions under the false pretense that she wanted to kill some stray cats that were bothering her oh my god so that's, like, that's still that's really what... excessive <laughs> i know again this is this is victorian era london yeah. no one gave a shit about cats that's true <laughs> they didn't give a shit about any animals <laughs> i know or people or children yeah, that's too. so anyway except for this kid uh, <laughs> i guess this chemist was like yeah this lady i recognize you describing her sounds like her she goes mm-hmm. by miss woods and she bought strychnine because she said she wanted to kill some cats <laughs> that's just so silly Um, and so they're like okay well that's like very you know that ties her to why there might be strychnine in chocolates and then they tie her to the candy shops they also discover that after the maynard inquest Mm -hmm. like the chocolate shop inquest she had actually started employing children who were just like children on the streets to buy chocolates on her behalf and then they would bring them to her. She would inject uh-huh. those chocolate creams with strychnine. There was also arsenic involved as well. The arsenic Oof. was also used in this. And she, then she would give them back to the children so that they could bring them back to the chocolate shop. Wow. Um, which, the, which at the time, this is what blows my mind. Like, talk about the Tylenol scare. This is what, yeah. <laughs> like, cho- the confectionaries at the time, and I imagine any food place at the time, would actually not buy back, but, like, take the chocolates back and resell them. Like you could, really? you could buy a box of chocolates or open it or whatever product and be like, oh, this wasn't my, this wasn't what I wanted to order. So I'm going to return them. And chocolate shops hmm. would accept that. They wouldn't dispose of them. They would resell them. So oh, that's God. how she was getting strychnine in the chocolate. She would that have kids buy sense. it. Yeah. She'd have kids buy it. Then she would, you know, poison them. And then she'd be like, oh, this wasn't my order. Go return this for me. And then that's well, how they were sold. So that was her nice. process. Yeah. Wow. So she did that at, not just at Maynard's, at many different sweet shops. Lastly, they were also able to place her on the same train that delivered the poison parcels. So that was like another thing. They're like, okay, okay she, the she had left out of town to visit someplace. And then she took that same train back from like Victoria to Brighton, Okay, which is the same train trip that the parcels were delivered on. And all the handwritten addresses on the parcels matched her handwriting of the letters. So <laughs> dude, like, dude. Yeah. Has she, okay. I was going to say, yeah, no, say well, it, I don't say know. It. I was going to say, like, hasn't she heard of a typewriter? But I don't know if a typewriter was oh, invented oh, yet. No. Maybe it's in creation. I don't know. <laughs> I'd no, have I'm to curious. look that up. I thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, had she not said anything and had not been weirdly cocky about the police not finding stuff Mm. this probably would have never unraveled in this way but then again looking at all the loose ends that she left she didn't even try to change her handwriting like i mean so typewriter was invented in 1867 by the way so she could oh she could have she could have used a typewriter but she did not on some of them expensive uh, in yeah, in maybe. Her defense, yeah, that's, so we'll let her off. Maybe okay. <laughs> in terms of we are the judge around in terms of mass poisoning people. Okay, so she is ultimately charged with the murder of Sydney Barker. They recognize that she's responsible for this whole township getting yeah. sick and all these things, but ultimately it is because of it is like the death of this child that she's going to be charged on because it it is mm-hmm. murder, and right. so. 
She ultimately, this is ultimately why she goes to trial because that's the most severe thing that came from all of this. She is found guilty of murder despite multiple appeals from her defense and um, professional testimonies from doctors and her own mother because her defense was trying to plea like, listen, she is not operating within the realms of sanity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, yeah. Uh, medical professionals who were there during the trial. They felt that she clearly couldn't distinguish right from wrong and therefore did not deserve the death penalty, Mm-mm. but instead she should put, be put in an institution. Yeah. That being said, the jury was still like, no, she deserves no mercy. Wow. She's found guilty and she is, you know, she's charged with the murder and she's on the path to the death penalty. Like she's, she is charged with the death penalty or however that works. And yeah, she yeah. will at some point be executed. Right. So that's the outcome of the, the trial. While the jury had no sympathy for her and found her guilty of murder, weirdly, the public, after once the media came out and all that, like the public surrounding the trial actually felt sympathy for her. They agreed with the medical evidence and the police to consider her mental stability and her mental health. They pretty much, I wouldn't, I mean, there's no, there's no language that was like people were protesting the streets, but overall it was a popular local opinion that like she should not have the death penalty put to her and that she should go to an institution because the local sentiment towards sparing her life was so strong. The home secretary, which is, um, you know, an official position within the legal system or what have you Mm -hmm. ended up respiting her sentence and she did get sent to an asylum instead. Wow. That's awesome. Mm hmm. And I should really list. I should say the name of the asylum because if you do want to go down the mental health aspect of like how they treated her and things like that, so yeah, she is sent to Broadmoor Asylum, and she is one of the most famous patients that was to ever be Ooh. put at Broadmoor, and that is because of her being known, like her reputation of being known as the chocolate cream poisoner. Other than that, apparently, when she was in the asylum, she wasn't a difficult patient um the only thing that they noted about her was that she did like attention she did always try to sneak makeup in she always was trying to like uh, in their again these are all majority of the doctors at the time in this Mm -hmm. institution are men and the the nurses are going to be women and the people who watch the women's ward or actually handle the women are also women there's a term for that when you kind of like like the woman who are the caretakers of the woman mm-hmm. ward there's a there's an official term for that i want to mm-hmm. say dead mother but that's a brothel <laughs> oh my god so <laughs> or actually that's, the same that's thing. not that's not right uh sorry i dead mother is also a term that's used in um uh girl scouts right i don't know, I don't know. so it could no. be we're, I should weren't know. you in girl I, scouts yeah I, girl <laughs> i was okay not well attention. if i'm using i was sniffing using... goats and thinking they were goat cheese <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I apologize if I've used the dead mother term wrong. But anyway, just think of like there's a matriarchal presence in the woman's ward that watches the woman, but then there's the actual doctors who come in and check up on the patients. And all the doctors who I believe were men were mm-hmm. like, yeah, she she doesn't seem that difficult. I feel like, if anything, her behavior is trying to atta- attract the male gaze and like blah, blah, blah. I guess they had like a a woman's a woman's patient's Christmas ball or something like a nice, like a dance that they offer for these patients. And okay. there was a comment, there was a comment about how like Christiana would, would never fail to dance with every male doctor that came oh through God. or whatever. Some okay. nonsense. 
And then it also stated, but the woman caretakers, who are not the doctors, but they ultimately deal with her every single day, were like, no, mm-hmm. she's really difficult. But they <laughs> like ultimately agreed to disagree around that. Right, right. You know, she wasn't she wasn't someone who would have outbursts or whatever. She just uh she liked to like sneak things into her cell, which she wasn't supposed yeah. to. And it was yeah. typically like clothing or makeup or whatever. Oh, so okay. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. well, I was yeah. just looking it up. I was looking at Broadmoor mm-hmm. Asylum because I was just curious. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think it was until recently it was still in use as like a mental oh. institution. And the reason I was looking it up I assume 100% that it would be an all women's asylum but it looks like mm. it's mixed like there are men and women that are serviced yeah. at this place yeah. and the most recent article i saw was from the daily mail that said that nice. broadmoor asylum or institute is supposed to be sold off to be a luxury hotel now oh how interesting, interesting. i don't yeah. think i would want to stay there <laughs> i know <sighs> yeah i feel you that's what my Gosh, thought it would be haunted my- Right. That's what my brain went. I was like, it's going to be haunted. But then I'm like, that's just what television does to us. I, (laughs) who knows? (laughs) You stay there and you let me know how it was. Okay. (laughs) I'll I'll go stay and let you know if it feels haunted. But yes, there are definitely two different wings. One for male patients, one for female patients. All right. So that is her story. That's, that's pretty much it. Actually, not a lot of deaths, just one death. Right. But like she was very successful at poisoning a lot of the town so that's pretty that's very interesting in some way so we're gonna it's this is yeah we're going into this quick one we're gonna go into the toxicology of strychnine Mm -hmm. because it's always exciting when like we haven't done this before and we've been doing a good good job too yeah good job of like introducing new poisons but anyway strychnine is a neurotoxin it is highly toxic poison it's lethal dose for adults if orally ingested, is 30 mm-hmm. to 120 milligrams. Okay, so a good amount. What it is, yeah. So, like, it'd be have, you'd have to have, like, a nice, like, little teaspoon amount or something. Yeah, which makes sense which, because that's not as deadly as some of the other poisons we talked about. Right. So it makes sense that, like, just ingesting it, people would get really sick, but they wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. die. Right. And so th- that is something that I've thought about over the span of our podcast and like learning about different toxins and poisons is like the language that the CDC uses is like strychnine is highly toxic. But mm-hmm. what that really means is that you are guaranteed to be get sick from it, but not mm-hmm. necessarily die. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So when you see the language highly toxic, that can mean a whole bunch of different things. Correct. Um, I think being mindful to differentiate highly toxic from highly deadly. <laughs> that's the difference yeah like vx is deadly as fuck yeah so anyways so it is a neurotoxin first i'll talk about where it comes from and what it looks like strychnine is derived from the strychnine tree scientifically Mm. known as strychnose nux vomica very funny i love that yeah nux vomica this tree is found predominantly in the india and indian subcontinent area and parts really? of Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Our hood. It is. <laughs> That's where we come from. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a flowering tree. Apparently, Ooh. when the flowers bloom, they emit a foul odor. Oh, God. Uh, 
And it also produces a fruit that has a hard, round orange shell with a soft white flesh in the middle. And there are always five seeds inside that flesh. Hmm. The seeds are the main source of the strychnine. The seeds Mm -hmm. contain about 1.5% of strychnine and the dried blossoms contain 1%. The bark actually has some sort of toxin in it too, but we will disregard that for another day (laughs) because it's a different toxin. Altogether, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a different, different type of toxin. I think from what I read, it is, you know, in the same track as strychnine, but it's mm-hmm. called something different entirely. So that's, we'll look that up later. Wow, um, that's like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking back mm-hmm. to like our In Defense of Plants crossover. Oh, totally. Yes. Right? Because I'm like, yeah, there are clear signs. Like these flowers are foul smelling. Yes. Like they don't want you to come near it. Don't yeah. eat me. Don't smell me. Don't touch right, me. Right. And then mm-hmm. that hard outer shell is trying to make it impenetrable mm-hmm. from you to even getting inside. Yeah. That also begs the question, why even have this? But, right. you know, as like a right. species, but still they are yeah. and putting out the warning signs. Exactly. And the shell is like a bright orange color. Yep. From what I read, the... <laughs> The one creature that eats it is um, the, a type of monkey Ooh. species in that area. Oh. And do they go to sick? Wikipedia? Didn't say. If you go okay. to Wikipedia, it'll it'll tell you what type of monkey. And mm-hmm. then, um, I mean, you could always <laughs> do research from there. Yeah, but yes, I can monkeys eat that. Look up strychnine tree, and then it'll, okay. it'll tell you all about that. Oh, let me know if the monkey's cute. <laughs> <laughs> this is important. It's important. <laughs> oh my god. Anyways, okay, so. Once extracted from the seeds, strychnine typically comes in the form of like a crystalline powder. So it's a, you know, whatever that extraction period looks like, at some point strychnine is made into a white crystalline powder. Mm -hmm. It's odorless and it is bitter. It can be inhaled or mixed into liquids where it can then be ingested or administered intravenously. From according to the CDC, the actually the most common way of strychnine poisoning is through inhalation, but I couldn't figure out is this a work-related, you know, is this an occupational thing? I guess maybe in some ways, because the main way that we use strychnine to this day is for pesticides, specifically rat poisoning, okay? Hmm. So maybe I I guess that would make sense if some of it's inhaled, if it's in a cloud-like pesticide form yeah. i'm not sure or like maybe spray or something work, yeah right or maybe if you work in a factory that produces rat poison which i comes in pellets i'm pretty sure maybe yeah. that's where like you could get that like powdery just like the dust from it in your mm-hmm. in your system here is a fun fact portugal <laughs> when it comes to their rodenticides so like rat poison and stuff mm-hmm. they do not use strychnine this is just speculation, but this is an educated guess based on many things that I have learned throughout my life. But I think that the reason why Portugal does not use strychnine in their poisons is because, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Tying mm. this back to remember how I talked about how there's impurities and LSD and street drugs yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The CDC does list strychnine as sometimes found in LSD and heroin and cocaine. That is sometimes what we see as an impurity in those street drugs. And I'm tying this back to Portugal because Portugal had a severe heroin epidemic at some Mm. point in time where like 1% Mm -hmm. of the population was using And what they ended up doing is they actually legalized heroin. But I imagine that strychnine made a presence 
in heroin at that time. And that's probably why they also don't use it in rodenticides. That is just a theory, but I think it all ties together. (laughs) Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) They legalized heroin in Portugal? Yes. There's a fantastic article by the They legalized or decriminalized it? Oh, oh, oh. Maybe decriminalized. Okay. Thank you for the difference. There's a great article in the Times that's titled, Want to Win the War on Drugs? Portugal might have the answer. And I will mm. send that to you. It's yeah, fantastic read. But I want to make sure. Yes, it's the first country in the world to decriminalize the consumption of all drugs. Interesting. And that cool. happened in 2001. So I'll wow. send that to you later. It's a fantastic yeah, article. Too. Everyone go read it. It's by Nayana Bajkal. We'll put in our show notes, too. Yes. Written on August 1st, 2018. And I think this was a response to our recent opioid epidemic on mm-hmm. the East Coast. And also, this is just a side note, because I'm talking yeah. about, you know, I was talking about, like, how it is found as an impurity in certain street drugs mm-hmm. and all that. Remember our very first episode, how we were talking about bootleg beer in, you know, Malaysia and Indonesia? I sure do. I think there was one article where I read there was rat poison found in like the bootleg beer made in Indonesia. Mm. And so I'm mm-hmm. just like, we obviously talk about psych- psychedelics in a favorable sense. So I'm talking about LSD again, right? Yeah. I don't want people to be scared of LSD and its synthetic stuff because like, you know, I just said there, there is a potential of strychnine yeah. to be in there. <laughs> but remind you, like there's a potential of anything bad in any sort of like bootleg Correct. street sold thing. So yeah. I'm just bringing in that example of like the bootleg beer because I think a lot of people would look at beer as like, oh, that's not as scary as the idea of buying LSD off the streets, but it like doesn't right. matter. Like if you're gonna buy anything that's made in a backyard, like, <laughs> proceed well, with caution is what I'm saying. Proceed with caution. You know 100%, the hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, you know what you're getting into, especially for stuff yeah. like that. But even right. to take it broader, like anything can be poisoned. Yes, Not to like scare true. people off that's, from like yeah, coming yeah. out of their houses. But yeah. I mean, look at was it rubio's no it was chipotle like there was freaking e coli on the lettuce and people were just like shitting their brains out and that's not fun either that's like legit poisoning but yeah yeah it is you know alfalfa has gone out of style because of poisoning like i I used to really like that stuff on my sandwiches now i don't eat it anymore because it's ruined (laughs) yeah yeah it doesn't have to be something so some people's eyes extreme as buying lsd right to be like potentially dangerous it could be anywhere so bottom line just be cautious and know what exactly what you're sourcing i like how ultimately our message there is like anything is a risk so proceed <laughs> like like anything is a risk so just why worry yourself with with you know right. thinking, oh i shouldn't do this because of this but yeah yeah don't sweat the small okay. stuff if you're young <laughs> you'll survive right <laughs> yeah so so on that note if you are interested in taking LSD and you're scared of strychnine poisoning, yeah. just know that the prognosis for strychnine poisoning is actually really good. Meaning mm-hmm. like deaths are rare. Remember, yeah. highly toxic, but not highly deadly. <laughs> Key difference there. <laughs> Key difference. <laughs> so yeah, once in the body, how does strychnine operate? 
so yeah, let's talk about symptoms and then we'll talk about treatments mm. so that I can mm-hmm. assure you that prognosis is good, right? Okay. So once in the body, first and foremost, strychnine is a convulsant. So that's what you're going to see mostly with this poison. Causes in- increased reflex excitability in the spinal cord. Mm. That yeah, that results in a loss of the normal inhibition. Long no, story short. <laughs> long story short. <laughs> It increases like muscle excitability in the spinal cord. Remember, it is a neurotoxin. Mm -hmm. And so down at the neurotransmitter level, it is an agonist on acetylcholine receptors and glycine Mm. receptors. So what that means is that it is going to impact how your muscles operate. And so it just kind of excites it once because it's agonizing those receptors, meaning it's intensifying that and not inhibiting it. Mm -hmm. Your muscles are going to contract and convulse and all these things and that's why as a whole your body starts to tighten and convulse symptoms appear within 15 to 30 minutes depending on the dosage initial symptoms are tightness and twitching of the muscles there's agitation and hyperflexia Mm -hmm. you are completely conscious when this is happening and is and it is intensely painful when i was reading about this i was like you know i hadn't had a charlie horse in a really long time but the other day i was like waking up from my sleep and I did like kind of a stretch and I got a Charlie horse in my calf. And if you know what that feels like, I imagine based on what, you know, I researched just now, I imagine that hyperflexia feels like a whole body Charlie horse just happening, compressing and decompressing, compressing and just like tight, tight, tight. And then that's what I imagine it probably feels like. So if you can picture a Charlie horse in your calf, just that your whole body is doing that. So it is painful. It is painful. That's super painful. Yeah. Your back typically arches because it starts in the spinal cord area mm-hmm. and your facial muscles pull back into what is known as the rhesus sardonicus expression. You can look mm-hmm. that up on Google. It's actually nothing too extraordinary looking, but it's basically like imagine your face, you're baring your teeth yeah. and your lips get pulled back into a slight frown. So right. that happens. It's You don't have control over it. It just tightens like this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you can see what I just did, but I was, right. I was showing Harini it. <laughs> Death is typically caused by asphyxia or medullary mm-hmm. paralysis. Um, wow. So you're, I'm assuming that medulla. means you're, you cannot, yeah. your medulla oblongata, you don't have like control of what's happening with those neurotransmitters in there. As I said, the good news is that prognosis is typically good as long as the patient's condition can be maintained over the first six to 12 hours. So if, for example, I think what's probably really common in the States at least is my child accidentally got into some rat poison. Like that seems like something that would happen, right? So what would happen is, you know, you're rushed to the hospital. You are, as all poisons are typically handled by poison control, do not Mm -hmm. cause any vomitation. Like try not to make them vomit. You know, just if it's already in their body, keep it in the body. They give you intravenous fluids to kind of keep your intravenous fluids to flush, flush it out as fast as possible. But they also will give you medication that controls convulsions, such as diazepam, phenytoin, Mm -hmm. and phenobarbital. Yeah. So any sort of anti-convulsants. It's also said that like gastric aspirations and lavage. 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 What is a lavage? That's basically like getting your stomach pumped. Oh, okay. So gastric aspirations and lavage may be done after the seizures are controlled. Mm -hmm. So they uh, clinically or medically, they obviously want to make sure that your muscles aren't tightening to a point where you do asphyxiate on yourself. So those are going to be going in first and then they Mm. might pump your stomach sort of thing. Yeah. Another thing is activated charcoal with Mm -hmm. a cathartic. 
And that's all that's listed in terms of treatment. Ultimately, strychnine poisoning is rare. Pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then just for funsies at the end, there are different names for strychnine. Yeah. <laughs> just for funsies, so you know. Yeah, I love There's it. different names for strychnine. They're mostly tied to like the rodenticide aspect, like mm-hmm. the rat poisoning aspect. But here are the names. Dog button. Dolco Mouse Serol. I don't know what that means. Okay. Quick Kill, which is probably like a product name for some oh mouse my God, stuff. Here's another one. Mole Death, Mouse Knots, <laughs> Mouse Rid, Mouse Tox, Pied Piper Mouse Seed, Quaker Button, Rodex, what is and button? Santa Seed. I don't know what button means. I don't know why What the heck does that mean? Yeah, I'm uh, not sure. I'm not sure why it's a button. The only thing I could uh, speculate is the seed <laughs> from the tree mm-hmm. is like disc disc shaped. So oh. I guess it could kind of be looking like a button. But I, gotcha. I feel like that. I don't know if that's accurate in terms of why it's being used as a term. Well, this. it's clearly yeah. like used often enough that it's in two different brand names. <laughs> that's so um, interesting. Yeah. I, I was just going to ask Megan. I don't know if you researched this or came across mm. this in your research, but what was strychnine used for back then, like medically? Because clearly mm. like, they were mm-hmm. getting this from a chemist or a druggist. So it was yes. used medically at yeah. the time to treat something. So do you know what it was treated for? Yes. For? So I did come across that. Okay. So first and foremost, it still was used as a pesticide. Like remember she bought mm-hmm. it to like kill cats or some nonsense. Oh, and right. So, that's true. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, and so they definitely used it to like kill critters at the time. But <laughs> yeah. you're right. You're right that they did use it for some sort of therapy. Let me definitely saw that somewhere. Cause I do know, and this is purely fictional novel mm-hmm. knowledge but yeah. in Agatha Christie novels she does use strychnine a lot as a poisoning and oftentimes they're using it like it's it's like a prescription from their druggist that they take mm. nightly or something like that but I can't grasp in my mind right now I'm blanking what it was used for so mm. a quick read on Wikipedia it sure. pretty much just says while it has no known medicinal effects in the past the convulsant effect that strychnine causes was believed to be beneficial in small doses. And that's all it says. So they were using it for some reason to cause like these minor convulsions. For what purpose? I do not know. People did Hmm. weird stuff back then, you know? Yeah, that's so bizarre. Maybe it didn't, maybe I'm blanking. Maybe it doesn't have a a benefit, medical benefit. It does say, it does say strychnine has been used as a plot device in the author Agatha Christie's murder (laughs) mysteries. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I actually yeah. think I'm I'm wrong. I'm backtracking a little bit. Mm. I think what she used it for was it was basically in a pesticide in the garage or by the garden and they would basically mm. use that to to kill somebody off. So I think you're right. It was mainly just used for a pesticide. But and that's also interesting mm-hmm. that she went to a chemist to get the pesticides. That's I guess because it is not a controlled substance. They wouldn't talk about it like that at the time, but something that has like abuse potential. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I again, I think about like the George Chapman story because he mm-hmm. also went to, I want to say that chemist slash pharmacist was an interchangeable mm-hmm. word yes. back in the day. Given yes. the fact that George Chapman was a freaking doctor slash barber, <laughs> like, come on. But, yeah, that's what they call druggist, <laughs> chemist, pharmacist. <laughs> right. And so like, I think it's like the same for him because he was actually around only, what, 20 years later after her. Right. And so he also got his, whatever that poison was that he used. No, antimony. Um, yeah, antimony antimony yeah he got antimony also from a local chemist slash pharmacist got it. so i think that's what that means when she says yeah, i yeah. went to a chemist yeah 
so interesting of all the names to have though honestly this is a pretty (laughs) nice one (laughs) i know the chocolate cream poisoner it sounds sounds like very delicate and like gentle but it's quite deadly good job megan this is i've never heard of this one before it was fun so yes that is a story of the chocolate cream poisoner also Mm. known as christiana edmonds who ended up living her life out to old age in the asylum and that is i know good good for her Um, sorry uh, and that is and that is also how strychnine works if you ever see rat poison just think that's strychnine in there and then you think about all the rats and potentially house pets that might die when they eat rat poison but not in portugal or toddlers yeah and not in portugal gosh anyways this was a poison that i've been wanting to either do or learn about from you for a while so i'm glad you did Mm -hmm. it good job megan i'm glad all right all right shall we let's get into our antidotes of the week so i'll go first my answer of the week is very simple i am a working lady i'm a working woman so this is my first week at the job the brand new job post Mm -hmm. graduation so i'm really excited because this is technically like no this is my very first real adult job ever yeah so excited to do this and embark on this journey in my career so good stuff ahead that's all (laughs) and how has it been so this is like you're you're not doing training anymore like you're in the mix is that no so it's my very first week technically so i'm still like in orientation like kind of like meeting people as much as possible it is a Mm -hmm. little bit different because i'm starting as a remote in like a remote location like we're not in person just yet so I'm taking extra steps to try to like meet with people one-on-one as much as possible, but it's Mm -hmm. really good. I really like everybody so far. There's a lot of cool things on the docket in terms of work projects and things like that. But right now I'm just going to focus on familiarizing myself with the company and just take it day by day, but it's been really great so far. So I feel lucky. Yay. Well, congratulations to the adult world. Yeah. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) only like 18 years later. (laughs) I know. I know. Hey, that's what extra schooling, that's what getting a higher degree does. Like, yeah. you're just a kid. Now you're an adult. <laughs> I know. Like, I was literally a kid up until May, and then I transitioned to an adult just now. Yeah. So we're here. We're making it happen. That's awesome. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> uh, let's see. My antidote today is last Friday, Harini and I hung out at my place, and she finally met two of my neighbors that live in my complex who are such amazing people and dedicated Mm -hmm. listeners to our cast so Mm -hmm. i wanted to give a shout out to rob and darian we love you for listening so much i also wanted to share this because rob you're so sweet he actually texted me and he was like i hope i didn't like freak harini out you know because (laughs) this is harini's first time meeting them and she's like who are these people like she's like i feel like i recognize their names but like i don't know what their affiliation is with us but then like you know she she you know you realize like oh they just they listen to our podcast which is great yeah but so rob rob felt like oh no i hope i didn't like freak you out and then he quote he quote in a text he was like i was i was gushing out a little big nerd fan moment and he's that's towards you 
Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. So just to give my perspective, Megan mm-hmm. and I were just like staring at the sky, like enjoy <laughs> enjoying the clouds passing by, fully having an immersive nature moment. And then I hear from like the corner of my peripheral, Slam was like, Is that Harini Bot? And then I'm just like, Who the who the fuck here knows my name? And then I turn around and there's like this tall guy coming at us. I'm like, whoa, who's this? But they were so awesome. The yeah. sweetest people. It was such a great moment. And then we just kind of, we all fangirled at yeah. the whole moment, I think. And we just talked poisons for a little bit. And then we went mm-hmm. on our way. It was the most wonderful yeah. moment. Really, really enjoyed meeting them. So Thanks thank you. Guys. Yeah. Thank you to Rob and Darian. Big ups to you for being our listeners and great neighbors. We appreciate yeah. you. So yeah, awesome. So I was a low key jealous a little bit. I was like, oh my God, Megan, your neighbors are cool. <laughs> I know. Like Harini and I were definitely just having like a chill afternoon, but then Darian yeah. and Rob came out and they were clearly like energized and like, yeah. ready to party that Friday. And I know Harini and I were also like, ooh, like what is this energy? Like tell yeah. us. <laughs> it was fun. It was yeah. a good time. But then we went to go eat our fried chicken oh, God, and our yeah. energy definitely simmered with that chicken <laughs> i think honestly i think we we're pretty high energy that night like we were we were having a good time and we yeah. were just shooting the shit yeah. per usual so it was and we good. went on a little jaunt good. outside we twice it was, uh, nice. it was it was a beautiful san diego summer night it was it was that took me way too long to say <laughs> so, so yeah that's it for today folks. that's it thanks for joining yeah. megan take us out of this episode Heck yeah. (laughs) Don't (laughs) risk it for that creamy chocolate biscuit. (laughs) I like how you said risk. Don't risk it. (laughs) And don't eat rat poison. Yeah, just, you know, just a key key ingredient to life. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye.